Welcome to the 10x Managers Podcast, where we interview different managers and leaders each week to share their experiences, learnings and insights so that you can challenge and support your own professional development. If you're not already a member of the 10x Managers community, go to 10xmanagers.com and sign up. There you will be able to access all our archived content, including video interviews, written learning summaries and resources that help you action and implement all the ideas shared in our interviews. You can also join the community discussion and collaborate with other 10x managers. I look forward to seeing you there. Jamie, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Really excited to speak to you um, about some of your experiences. Could you give the audience a a quick intro into uh, your background and your management experience? Sure. So when I started as a manager in 2009, I started my, in my company in 2000, moved into a management position in 2009 as a team leader of about five people at that point. And I didn't really know that was what I wanted to do at that point. It just seemed like the next leg- logical step in my career progression. And it was only really two years later when I went on my first proper management training course that my passion for management really sparked into life. Uh, it was a, a brilliant trainer in that, that that really got me thinking about how management is so much more than just like giving people tasks to do. There's so much more to it than that, as, as you know, Josh. And uh, and I've, I've just continued that journey from then. I realized that was the thing that I was really passionate about at work, management and leadership, and started to focus my career path along those lines. And yeah, it's been working out pretty well. I've been really enjoying the last uh, yeah 12 years now as a manager. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Let's get into what you see as a role of a manager. This is the question that I gave a lot of thought to shortly after becoming a manager because no one really told me this is why we need managers. This is what your fundamental purpose is as a manager. It was more of these are the day-to-day tasks that you have to do. Uh, so I gave a lot of thought to that question. I, I basically boiled it down to two key things uh, in terms of that we, we're here as managers to create a great place to work mm-hmm. and for us to create a place that produces great work. And I think those two things are completely intertwined and, and inseparable, in it, and that's a good thing, uh, because I believe that if you create a place that, that people want to come to, that they feel supported and challenged in the right measure, uh, that they feel they're doing something with meaning and purpose, that they're contributing to something bigger than themselves, that's, that's moving things forward and improving things, then that's what it's all about. And if you get people working in that kind of environment, uh, then I believe that just naturally leads to, to good performance. As soon as they get motivated and, and feel like they're they're part of something bigger, they want to play their part in it and they want to do their own play their own part in terms of their own development to contribute to the team to an even greater extent. And and yeah, that for me that's what it's all about. Those two key things: focusing on creating a great place to work and also how you make sure that place is producing great work. I love that. I think that's a really good way of thinking about it uh, and also quite a catchy way of bringing it together as well. How did you come to that, Jamie? Obviously, I think what you mentioned there is when you first became a manager, you didn't really know what that role was. And I think a lot of people will resonate with that as well. So how, how did you go on that journey to, to, re- to really uncover that? <laughs> that's a great question. And it was a combination of things. But one of the, one of the biggest things for me was, was starting to read books and articles on management and leadership following that initial training course that really got me thinking and, and the, that that trainer actually gave me a few books to start with and uh, it just completely opened my mind to and it's so obvious now but there was so much uh research into 
how to go about management and leadership in the modern day and how that's changed over the years and, and what a modern manager and leader needs to be thinking about and doing and, and how they're behaving and, and leading by example, etc. And, and I, I just fell into a, a huge wealth of this other information that I found uh, outside of my company in books and articles and, and through speakers and TED Talks and all that great stuff uh, that, that just got me partly thinking about new ideas, but also helped me really uh, have confidence in my own approach to management that, that I do really value and, and love working with the people that I work with, that I, either that I'm managing or, or collaborating with. And I just got so many new ideas from these books and articles and it gave me confidence in that sort of people first approach of actually that is in the modern day the best way to get results. You can get short term results by working in an authoritative manner, but it's not what creates that culture that sustains long term and leads to long term growth and improvement. So, yeah, it was just that diving into all these different books that just sparked my passion. Even well, That's brilliant. So 12 years on then. So let's talk about those skills that you've developed. What do you see as your superpowers uh, as a leader, Jamie? <laughs> I think one thing I'm good at is building relationships. And, yeah. and that's not just with the people in my team. That's, I think that's been my sort of principle in my career in my company. As I say, I've been there for 20 years now. Uh, and I'm so glad that I did take that approach of treating people well, whoever they were and whoever, whatever reason I was, in, I was working with them. Uh, because so many of those people now are coming back into my my world as a, a manager in my current role. And it's just so helpful if you've created that good relationship with someone and shown that you you care about more than just the work, you care about the people you're working with as well. Uh, that comes back to to help you, when you when, as you go forward. And then I, I guess I just translate that when I became a, a manager into, well, obviously that's how I'm going to treat my team as well. I'm going to try and build uh, good relationships with them, try and understand who they are as people, what really motivates them. Uh, what they really feel are their, I don't know, hopes and fears, what, what they really want to aspire to achieving, but what are they scared of? What are they, uh, where do they see their sort of limitations at the moment? And what, what are things that I can help coach them through overcoming, like just getting themselves out, getting them out of their, their comfort zones and trying new things. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, just trying to work out how to, how to, yeah, give them the best chance to fulfill their own potential. Okay, well that, that, that's interesting as well. So talk to me about, a bit how, about how you actually nurture those because obviously you can't go into a first conversation and start bombarding them with those sorts mm -hmm. of questions. So how do you slowly build that up into that business relationship that, that enables you to help each other? <laughs> I think one of the best examples of that is when I moved into my current function, uh, which at that time had about 60 people in it. And one of the things I was determined to do before I started formally in the role was meet all the people in the function. Uh, so I put an hour in my diary for every single person in the function, which was hard to fit it in. But I'm so glad that I did it because I, I learned so much from it. And I believe it started off that relationship with everyone in the function. Uh, and I went into it with basic questions for each of those chats with people. And the first one I asked was... Uh, what's your favorite thing to do and so many of them just said I was not expecting that as the first question <laughs> and I think I am genuinely interested in that but also I think that just shows them that I care about them as people beyond just what they're doing to deliver results within my function I care about them as people and that was a starting point and I guess it just builds from there and I just I try and my, my function is growing to 100 people now so it's even harder to have that day-to-day -day personal contact with everyone well it's just impossible but I do as often as possible try and make myself available to have chats with people and, and, and always say I've got an open door policy if you ever want to chat to me about anything 
whether it's a concern or an idea or just whatever it is, just give me a shout and I always follow up on that commitment and, and have a chat with those people. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's just a core part of me that just treat people well, treat people with respect and, and recognise their efforts, uh, but also just keep building those conversations through, over the years. If you're managing someone for years, you just start building a, a more and more trusting relationship and get into more and more detail about what, what's their background and, and, and what's maybe shaped them as a person and, and how does that affect them in their role at the moment. Okay, fantastic. What sort of results and what sort of outcomes do you think you gain by fostering these relationships and investing the time into these relationships? It's the commitment. You get the commitment. Once, once you show that you care about them as a person and you're trying to create a good working environment for them, I think the commitment just comes. People then go, I mean, if I just think about that myself, I've currently got a, a brilliant manager who is absolutely supportive, encouraging, challenging. Uh, and, and I go the extra mile for him because of the way he treats me and because of the way that he runs his team and the passion that he puts into to leading us all. I almost feel well, just inspired and motivated to, to give my best. And then hopefully that's what, what translates down when I do the same for my team. Fantastic. I, I know one thing that a lot of managers have struggled with over the last two years with COVID, with us going remote or hybrid or not necessarily being in the office all the time is this relationship building because it's become a lot more transactional. Have you done anything during this period to really help enable you to keep maintaining those relationships and keep building them? Mm -hmm. It's been interesting for me because basically 50% of the people in my team have to be on site to do their job because they're mm -hmm test engineers or facility engineers that need to be there working with equipment on site. Uh, <clears throat> so I've been trying to, obviously at certain points in the pandemic, the guidelines restricted me from what I, what I would like to do in terms of FaceTime on site. Uh, but I have been as, as much as possible trying to get on site and just walking around the office and just chatting to people as one way of doing it. And, and not only just to keep up the relationships, but I realised how much I got from that, how much energy I get from those personal face-to-face okay. -face interactions. And just the little conversations that will come up. If I see someone in the office, it's like, oh, I've got something I can ask them or suggest to them that I would never actually get around to setting up a specific Skype session to discuss that one yeah. little point. But then that one little point leads to a really great outcome in many cases. So that kind of thing. Uh, I set up quite a few basically went around all the teams in my function. Uh, so week by week, so there's teams of sort of six or seven kind of people in size. And that was another chance just to engage with them in a more sort of uh, informal and sort of smaller scale level. Uh, but I also do a monthly comm session and a monthly, I call them symposiums. Basically the, the comm session is a bit of a, a kind of one way blast of, of the, the latest and greatest comms that I want people to know about. The symposiums are much more of a chance for people within the team to share what they're doing and for the benefit of others will benefit for them themselves of actually having that experience of presenting to, for the benefit of other people in the team of, of just understanding what else is going on in the function, what progress is being made. Uh, so yeah, we try and focus those sessions on giving other people a chance to share what they're doing. Uh, but I think all of those things I've mentioned, hopefully in combination, just enable me to keep in touch and keep the, the right level of connection with my, with my team. That's great. And you mentioned something then that, that, that kind of sparked a thought in my head around the symposium. So obviously what you're encouraging people to do there is sharing what they're doing, what they're working on. And by definition, you're actually helping them build relationships as well, because they'll be introducing what they're doing to other people. Is that something that you actively think about in terms of helping other people build their network as well? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I guess it's one of those things that I never 
thought was anything special. That just comes naturally to me, just based, based on the way I've been managed and, and I guess some of the stuff I've read as well over the years, as I said. Uh, so yeah, again, it's, there's two benefits to that. One is it's, it's good for the person because it helps their development, it helps build their confidence and just experience of, as I say, presenting to, to a large audience. But it comes back to benefit me as function head that, that they then build their confidence and try new things and, and, and think that wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. So I'll, I'll try more of that in the future. And then it's all part of that development of the, the individual members of the team combining up to, to lead to improved team performance overall. Fantastic. And I don't want to stereotype here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine managing a function of uh, test engineers, you'll have some that are more introverted than others, some that would rather get their head down and do their work and get on with it and not look at building those relationships and confidence and all those benefits that come with it. How do you try and bring people around and be receptive to that, to those sorts of um, conversations, the, the importance of relationship building? There's so many levels I could answer that question on. I think I'd start with people have got to feel that they're part of something cohesive, something that's going in a, a direction that they are bought into. Uh, so for me, that's setting a vision for the future. And it's, it's, it's for, I've spent a lot of time actually in that last year within my function of what is our vision for the future? Where do we want to get to? Everyone's got lots of frustrations uh, and ideas, but where, where do we pull that together to say that this is what we're trying to achieve? This is what we're trying to change going forward. Uh, so once, once you've got that and once people are, are engaged with that and, and, and bought into it, then they'll want to play their, their part in that. So a, a big part of that is actually working together as a team to deliver it. So it almost requires as a necessity that relationship building. So I think they've all, everyone in my function has got good experience of building relationships as a result of having to do their day-to-day -day job. But I think what I'm talking about here is it's going beyond that, not just focusing on, on your day-to-day -day job, but how are you contributing to the development of the overall team going forward? Uh, and, I, and I think that's where it's essential that you are giving people something to, to latch onto and get involved with. But then it does require that emphasis and ownership on their part of saying, who do I need to be speaking to then to develop my ideas and build my ideas and, and, and turn them into fruition, make them reality. Fantastic. And what I really like about this as well, uh, Jamie, is that I can see how the focus on building relationships and helping your, your function build relationships between each other as well. I can see how that directly links back up into getting great work done as a function because you're going to be better at collaborating and also helping people enjoy going to work and creating a great place to work because people have got friends and they, they interact and they socialize and those sorts of things. So I can absolutely see that. Is there anything else that you think you do particularly well to try and create that in terms of creating those two environments? <laughs> I was quite lucky when I joined that function. Uh, we have a lot of challenges. There's a lot of things that needed improvement, but one of the things that was brilliant was the, it was a team spirit and the, the connection between mm -hmm. people in the team for a few different reasons. One was, uh, like we have in our company, we have a, an annual football tournament, or we did have before COVID, and hopefully that will start again, uh, and a cricket tournament, and then there's all society, and my function also had quite an established tradition of doing pub crawls, uh, so about three or four times a year, they would go out to do a pub crawl, or either in our local town or go into London, and, and I just kind of, one of, one of the guys I spoke to in those interviews before I joined, or this chats before I joined the function, his first question was, are you going to come in the pub crawls, Jamie? And I, and I thought, yeah, bring it on. I, I, I had slight nervousness as to how I balance my sort of professional Jamie to office Jamie. 
Uh, but I, I had no reason to worry there. It was all, it was great. And obviously there's a few drinks involved, but my experience of that has, has been, it just lowers people's barriers a little bit and just lets mm-hmm. them come out their shell in some cases and just share some things, share some passion with you. I remember one guy in one of those pub crawls, he was so passionate about improving things within the function. And I, d- I just never heard that from him before. And then as a result of that conversation I had with him that evening, uh, when we got back to work the next week, I was saying, right, we need to do something different. We need to get you involved in this and that. And it just led to some great stuff. So yeah, I was, I was lucky in that respect. There was some established things there that were already building great relationships within the team that I could just join in and, and, and keep supporting and, and building. Fantastic. So it, it's giving people the outlet and the, the way to actually express themselves outside just the working environment and actually get to almost humanize those relationships as well rather than just being purely business absolutely yeah okay fantastic okay that's really interesting jamie so if we pivot the conversation slightly now onto some of the things that you found the hardest and the most challenging over the course of the last 12 years if you had to name one biggest challenge what what would that be Mm -hmm. driving change okay that would definitely be it uh when i first became a manager I'd been in that team for about 15 years prior to that appointment uh, so I'd obviously experienced what it was like to work in that team I felt the issues were what, what we weren't doing as well as we could uh, we need to try and focus on improving things for the future and then suddenly I was the the the, the manager of that team and then to a greater extent later on I was I was head of that, that that full group uh so about 30 people in my responsibility and that was when it really hit home that right now now it's no longer me just saying we need to this and me to that i need to be saying this is how we're going to do it or how are we going to do it and making sure that we are aligned on, on how we're going to move things forward uh so that was okay i need to be doing that but then the thing was how on earth do i do that i just had no idea and at any uh real sort of training that went into that side of things there's lots of stuff around uh, yeah, building trust and building relationships, coaching, delegating correctly, et cetera, et cetera. But there was very little uh, on how you actually drive change. Uh, and that was where the books and the, the, uh, the articles and TED Talks, et cetera, really came into their own for me. It was actually, it gave me a framework of how to do it. And the things like uh, John Cotter and his book, Leading Change, which has a great eight-step process to, to, to leading change and how to go about it. And, and I just started basically structuring my ideas, my intentions around some of those established techniques that I found from the books. Obviously, you need to take into account the culture within your team, exactly where you are and all the, and the characters you've got within your team and how, how to work work with all that. Uh, the books and the articles gave me confidence to try things and, and to give me confidence to sit with a a group of 30 engineers and talk about values which I was petrified before that meeting of how that would go uh, but people were right into it people want to be recognized as people and and some people will be more willing to do it than others but they want to in my experience they want to be able to say this is what motivates me these are what my key values are this is what I want to achieve in work and and just I think it just opened the door for people to share those things and and but it's an ongoing challenge and learning experience driving changes it's so hard you're working against two of the biggest things for me are you've still got to deliver the the, the current commitments the current work the current contracts that, that, that you're you've, you've signed up for you've got to keep doing that but you've got to somehow find time to to say okay that's how we're doing things at the moment but how can we improve we need to improve we need to stay competitive so how do we how do we set aside that time to, to, to do that and that, for me that's got to come from the top you've got to lead by example there and actually give people the, almost the permission to, to spend time on improvement and, and, and looking at the future uh, 
so yeah, that's that's kind of where it started for me. But the uh, the other challenges I see is you're working against the the inertia of the current system. It's it's, it's got its own embedded uh, culture of how people are operating it, and you've got to, you've got to overcome that. And that's not something you do overnight. If it's a yeah. but I keep telling myself if if uh, if you want to achieve something great, it's it's not going to come overnight. If it if, if it is a, a big challenge, it's, it's something meaningful that you're working on. So uh, that's what keeps me going. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, tell us a bit more about that framework as well, Jamie. So you, you said you obviously through your own research, you started to pull together a framework of how you actually drive that change. Can you can you spell out the steps for us in terms of how, how you go about doing that now? <laughs> so the key ones for me, I won't go through all of Cotter's eight steps, but the, the key ones for me are creating that vision of the future and, and, and not just it's not just enough to have a vision, it's how you've created it, it's how you've engaged the team in doing that. Uh, and, and the way that I've done it with my current function is that, we, uh, as I say, there's lots of things that need improvement within my, my function, from the way that we're working in terms of the processes and the systems of work to the facilities that we do our, our testing on. Uh, a lot of them are out of date, we need to refurbish and invest in new, new facilities and we're working on that as well separately. Uh, but yeah, people had a lot of genuine and, and, and valid frustrations. So that, that, that was the starting point. For me, it was like, okay, we're, we're, how, to, how do I funnel them down into the sort of five or six key areas that people have frustrations about or, or feel that we need fewer improvement areas? And then once you've got that, it's quite a natural step, I found, to then say, okay, the vision is a response to that. It's basically how do we fix each of those things? Where do we want to be? If that's where we are at the moment, where do we want to be in the future? What do we want things to be looking like in, in, say, three years' time, five years' time? So you need to have that in place. But the, the vision statement for me has got to then drive meaningful activity. There's got to be an improvement strategy that comes out of the vision statement that, that says that's the vision and this is how we're going to get there. These are the mm-hmm. kind of things that we're going to do. So it might be investment in facilities. It might be improving our knowledge management sort of capability and activities. It might be the, improving the training of the people we've got in the team, et cetera, et cetera. But those are the sort of, that's the sort of strategy that, that you're coming up with to, to work towards that vision. And then out of the strategy, you've got to have a plan. You've got to then say, okay, there's there's the key strategic elements and, and uh, mechanisms that we're going to use to work towards the vision. But who's doing what? Who's responsible for it? And this is where, for me, you've got to get as many people involved as possible across the team. Uh, and you've got to, You've got to sell it to them in a way that that says this will be of benefit to you. One of the things that Cotter talks about is the creating a sense of urgency, and, and I think if you're the, the kind of CEO of a company, perhaps you're you're thinking perhaps more about uh, the market conditions and the competitive how your competitors are doing and where you see the, the industry going in the next sort of five, ten years and beyond. Uh, but that type of thing, in my experience, doesn't necessarily be the thing that creates a sense of urgency on the ground, as it were, for the people that are doing the job day to day. Uh, so for me, what I'm trying to, to bring out now is the sense of urgency is to say to people, well, you're not happy at the moment. Uh, you've got some frustrations. Uh, hopefully you've got some things that you feel we're doing well as well, but you've got these frustrations. Uh, so it's going to be a benefit to you to move away from that. That's what the vision is all about. It's moving us away from that place of frustration to a place of uh, a higher performing team where the challenges don't go away and your challenges will come up, but it feels like you're you're operating more as a high performing. No, that's really good. And I'll just, just two, two questions follow up on that as well, Jamie. So obviously we, we can, as managers, we can put in place the vision, the strategy, the plan. And then you, you alluded to then and start talking about how you get buy-in from that plan. 
from the people underneath you and it's just tying it to their motivations, what they're looking to do. I think one of the other big challenges with it is actually getting buy-in from above you as well. And it's getting the mandate to actually make that change. What sort of things can you do in that sense to actually enable that? Sorry, Josh, you're going to have to repeat that question. No. um, Sorry, my mind drifted. Such an interesting conversation. It's part me off there. Apologies. Can you repeat (laughs) that one? Yeah, of course. So obviously having this vision for change and looking to make this change, you spoke about how you start getting people uh, beneath you to start buying into it by tying it to their motivations, what they're looking to do, their frustrations right now. But obviously you also need the mandate from above you to actually go about and make that change and enable that to happen. And it might require budget or it might require hiring people or changing the way that you're working. And it's not always in the interest of the people above you to enable for you to actually make that disruption that it might cause. What sort of things can you do to get buy-in from above you to enable you, you to actually work on that change? <laughs> That's such an interesting question. In my experience, improvement, certainly within my own company, it's just not part of our culture. It's not mm-hmm. something that's been drummed into people over the years that improvement is an important thing. Uh, so I did really struggle with that, that starting point when I was for the first time trying to say, we can't just spend all our time on the, the day-to-day sort of firefighting the current work. We need to be thinking about the future. And, and as, exactly as you said, the, one of the first challenges was, well, where did I get the funding from for that? And I basically had to go begging, basically to say, I'm, I'm doing this. I think this will have a long-term massive benefit for the team and the company, uh, but I do need some funding to, to allow people to work on this. And that was met with a quite firm, uh, well, we don't have the funding. And I, and I wasn't sure where to go at that point, but I stuck with it and just kept saying, there's a bit of both. A bit was still trying to do that upwards management and say, this is real. This is something that, that we need to be doing and we need to have the funding to do it. Uh, so I kept pursuing that and eventually did get some funding coming through. But the other one was, well, how can I be a bit clever? How can I try and work out what we can squeeze in here and there with what other funding is available? Sometimes it is other funding there that's sort of research type funding that maybe in the past hasn't typically been used specifically for uh, sort of performance improvement, much more along sort of lines of technical technological Uh improvements Uh, but is there something in there that we can just maybe grab a little bit of that funding just for this and just little things like that if you build that up uh, we gradually got enough and by the time we got the the sort of more approved from the from above funding coming through that 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 kind of worked in the end but it shouldn't be like that and hopefully it's not like that in all other companies that uh, it should be much more uh, set up to say improvement is is a big part of your role and here's some of the funding for you to do it. And have you got anything that worked in terms of actually securing that funding? So I know a lot of people talk about obviously kind of selling the outcomes and the, and the results that hopefully this change will drive. Is there anything tactical that you did that, that worked for you in there? Uh, just take it step by step. Uh, I think some of the, there was a bit of fear as to what I'd use that money for and if it would be of benefit. And I think some people just needed to be shown that that it, it does pay off uh, by actually investing time in your people to give them the chance to share their ideas and frustrations and, and talk about how we can improve things. Uh, so yeah, the, the, one of the first things I did was I did a, a day trip to the, the Science Museum in, in London. Uh, so we all got in the bus in, in Stevenage and, and sat in a, a traffic jam basically for the next two hours getting into central London. But even that in itself was a great team bonding experience. And we'd, we'd set up a little uh, sort of quiz, which we did in the bus. And, and I could see even before we got to the Science Museum, it's working already and it was paying dividends already. 
Uh, and but anyway, I, I sort of said to the to, to my manager at the time, this is what I'm planning to do. I'm planning a, a sort of day out and into London. We're going to be talking about this. It's going to be some time where they're just walking around the, the museum, but hopefully that'll be inspiring them uh, for what we'll be discussing in the afternoon. Uh, so that was a, a fairly small expense, a couple of grand or whatever, just to get the bus and hire a, a venue in London just to do the meeting in the afternoon. So it was a, a low risk investment. I think the mm-hmm. my manager would have seen it at that point. And, and I made sure that I got feedback from everyone uh, following the day and then presented that back to my manager and also his manager as well. And just really tried to stick with my guns of this is important. I really believe that this is, this is important. And, and that's one of the things for me, I think, Josh, it's that you've got to have that conviction and belief yourself. Mm-hmm. As I say, you need to find that. You need to find a conference from somewhere, whether that's hopefully from a supportive manager that you've got, or uh, as I say, in my case, like books and articles are a big source of inspiration and motivation and conference for me. But then you've got to stick with your stick with your, stick, stick to your guns and actually stick. You can be sure that you're doing the right thing. Have belief in yourself, and then just keep selling that to your to anyone who's not believing in it that, that you're requiring on from funding. And as I say, just take it step by step, and it, and it gradually worked. They they quite quite quickly, especially when they, I remember that when they saw the feedback from the people, they were, it's hard to deny that. If people are saying, this is a valuable use of my time, it's hard to deny that that's, a, that's not something the company should be investing even more in. So you, you preempted my next question as well there, Jamie. So I was going to move on to talking about the importance of collecting feedback during change as well, um, because obviously it's never a straight line. Things never go quite as how you envisioned them when you created the strategy and plan. And then you're always going to get resistant to change from other people as well. Do you have any kind of, formal program of how you collect feedback or do you do it ad hoc how, how do you think about collecting feedback through change so our company does an employee opinion survey but it's, it's every two years and, and a lot of the questions are very open to interpretation mm-hmm. I, I have taken a lot of benefit from the responses to that in, in the past but uh, i felt it was just too distant from my team and what they were actually feeling and, and how yeah. quickly things were, were changing in some cases. What, what do I do? I, one of the things I do is following the symposiums, we always put out a, a, a request for feedback mm-hmm. and just say, is that the kind of thing you feel is valuable? Is there mm-hmm. topics that you feel we should be talking about? And just try and get people to, to say, honestly, is it going in the right direction or not? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one way we do it. Uh, one other thing we're doing is, is we're calling it systemization. It's, it's basically lean engineering in practice. It's basically trying to work out where are the the inefficiencies in our current operation and how can we remove them? And, and mm-hmm. the other part of the lean engineering philosophy is empowering the team to do that themselves. So we're uh, basically breaking down our activities and our overall mission into a number of discrete activities that, that we perform, which are all closely interlinked, obviously, but uh, then assigning someone within the team to lead that system. Uh, so one of the ones we're doing is a, a people management system. Uh, so in terms of checking how well we're doing in terms of our improvement of how we're managing our people within the function. Uh, so we've just finished our sort of annual development review process. And the first thing that we did after that was send out an email again to everyone in the function to say, how did that go for you? Uh, did, did you get out of it what you needed? Uh, mm-hmm. Were you happy with how your manager prepared for it and how the conversation went, et cetera, et cetera. And that is a question that gets asked in that employee opinion survey, but that could be another year and a half before people yeah. answered that. and. It's just the, the, the cycle for recognizing the feedback and implementing improvements is just too long. So by doing it internally within my function, now we'll get some specific feedback over the next couple of weeks of how people felt that went so that we can already straight away start saying that's what we need to improve for next time. Whether that's, uh, I don't know, could be a number of things, but 
it, it could be some people saying my meeting wasn't long enough. We only had an hour and two hours would have been what was required. And we can then say as a management team, make sure you check with each of your team members how long you feel they need for the conversation or, or learn from your from it yourself and just say, right, I think we need longer. So let's do two hours next time. Uh, but, but yeah, but you, and just an interesting point within that is that uh, people are all different and, and, and people change over time as well. And not just in terms of their, I don't know, maybe their confidence or, or abilities, but also uh, their mindset can change as well. Or the project they're working on will go through challenging points, et cetera, et cetera. So people will always be in a, a constantly changing place. Uh, so it's so essential as a manager to tailor your approach to the, the individuals that you have within your, your team and, and really work out what works best for each person. That's brilliant. No, thank you so much for sharing that as well, Jamie. That's, uh, I think, very valuable for, for everybody listening. So my final kind of broad question then, Jamie, is to talk about something that you've done that's had a huge impact. Now, impact can obviously be open for interpretation as well. But tell me about something that you've done in your management career. You see it's made a huge impact on whether it's you or your team or the people around you. So I think the, the thing that, that jumps out at me is, is something I formed called the People Management Community within my company. Uh, which is it's really, it's a really simple idea. It's basically a community of practice. And it's so similar to what you're doing with 10X managers, Josh, in that it's just a chance for managers within the company to come together, share experiences, share things that have worked well, share things that haven't worked so well, just motivate each other, just bounce ideas off each other. Uh, so yeah, so when I, was, when I moved into that group leader role, when I was sort of the first time sort of managing a team of, I think that was the first time I was managing managers, basically. Uh, so, so suddenly, uh, as I said earlier on, I, just, I wasn't sure how to approach some of the things I knew I wanted to do as a manager, and I wasn't sure where to go within the company. My my manager at that time gave a few ideas, but uh, I, I felt I needed more, and I wasn't sure where to go within the company to, to, to seek out just that, what I was talking about there, just other experiences, other things that have worked or not worked, and I happened to be in a meeting uh, that was set up by the managing director, and it was set up around the topic of how do we get better at retaining people within the company long term what is it that, that drives that retention of people and the key point that I wanted to take into that meeting was uh, how big a driver of that people management is good management of the people uh, in your team is in terms of leading to good retention and I was honest I said I've moved into this role and I wasn't really sure where to go to for advice and, and guidance uh, and I said, how about we set up something where we do allow managers from across the company to get together and, and, and do just that, just share experiences and, and share ideas. Uh, and, and I think his first answer was, we don't have that already. And I said, not as far as I'm aware. And we didn't. And it's just such a, an, an obvious idea in, in hindsight that, uh, that yeah, we, we went ahead with it. And it was that was a stressful time for me. I felt like that was me way outside my comfort zone. I was going beyond my own function to basically try and engage other people within the wider company uh, and there was some nervy moments along the way for me there real moments of self-doubt and anxiety uh, but we did our first event it was a we did a pilot event and invited about 40 people almost hand-picked like really passionate people managers within the company I'll remember that meeting for the rest of my my life to be honest it was the, the energy in that room that day was brilliant it went better than we could possibly have hoped and it was just the, the springboard for for the development of the, the people management community going forward. Uh, and and it, it gradually got less stressful each time we were organizing an event and gradually got more and more people on board, more and more supporters of it. Uh, and it's gone from strength to strength since then. But I feel that's something that, again, we've always asked for feedback after every event there that we do, just to make sure that it is giving 
people a valuable experience and, and overwhelming the, the, the feedback has been uh, like one of the, my favorite things that people come back with is uh, I love the PMC events because they're, they're just my sort of monthly or, or bi-monthly dose of motivation because uh, we, we get in external speakers uh, and that's been a big part of the success of it is, is bringing in the external speakers who, who can come in and, and give that, that view to people within the company. There are other ways of going about management and leadership other than the ones that you might have seen within your own company. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, really proud of the PMC and the impact that it's had on, on, on people within the company. That's great. And again, it's probably quite a hard thing to quantify, but has the business seen any results on the back of the, the PMC that, that you guys uh, communicate? It is very hard to quantify, and that's definitely been one of the challenges. Uh, we've, we've thought about various ways of trying to do that. Uh, one of the ones, uh, one of the external speakers, Karen Hurt, who you know very well, Josh, who introduced us, uh, one of the things that she said to me was exactly that, that you to, to continue the growth of the PMC, you need to make sure that it is having a, a tangible business benefit. Mm -hmm. People need to be aware of that at a senior level and be bought into that. Uh, so I would say we're not there yet. We've not actually proved yet tangibly what the, the business benefit is, but we've got plans for this year of basically, as well as the, the events that we do, which, which have a number of benefits uh, in terms of inspiring, motivating people, but what we want to do, and it's quite similar to some of the stuff you're doing again in, in 10X Managers, Josh, in terms of just writing down, capturing some of the lessons learned. And it's not going to be a step-to-step -step guide to this is how you be a manager, because that's just not how management works. Uh, but there's, I, I can see so much benefit and in, 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 if nothing else, just actually producing a more consistent approach to people management within my company. One yeah. thing we've realized through the PMC and through all the different views from the different areas that are coming in, it's blindingly obvious that, that we need to spend some time as a company harmonizing and, and, and where possible, keeping our, our, our management practices as, as consistent as possible. And where people, for example, struggled with funding for improvement activities, where have other people achieved that? And is that just mm -hmm. a thing that we should actually be working together as a community to influence the business to say, okay, that's just a general thing that we should be supplying to managers that, 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 that funding to do that work. Thank you for listening to the 10X Managers podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you can keep up to date for when we interview different managers and leaders every week. Remember, if you're not already a member of the 10X Managers community, go to 10xmanagers.com and sign up. There you can join the community discussion, access all our archived content and resources that ultimately help you to take action and make change.